Welcome to Season 2 of Simmering Thoughts, where we serve up slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. I'm your host, Ryan Akers. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under the username SimmerThoughts. You can also find us at Gmail and on YouTube, SimmeringThoughts at gmail.com, and on most major podcast catchers, including iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and our host, Podbean. You have just enough time to pull up a chair, grab your Bible, grab a notebook, then you can sit back and enjoy Simmering Thoughts. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers. This is the beginning of season two of the program. This year, we are going to begin with a study of anthropology, asking the question, what is man? And I am very excited about studying that topic and looking into it, but I'm even more excited about the guests we're going to have come on the program. We're going to begin with our first guest tonight. His name is Gabe Hughes. He's the pastor of First Baptist Church in Junction City, Kansas, and is also the host of When We Understand the Text, an excellent podcast and video ministry. If you have not heard of it, I highly commend it to you. And with that, Pastor Gabe, thank you for coming on to Simmering Thoughts. Please tell us about yourself. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Ryan. It is a pleasure to be on. I am married to a wonderful woman. Uh, her name is Becky, and she does the podcast that I do with me. Uh, five days a week, I do Bible teaching. There's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I do New Testament. And then on Thursday is an Old Testament book. And then on Friday, we do Q&A. So she opens and closes every episode Monday through Thursday. And then when we do the Q&A, taking questions from listeners uh, on Friday, She's with me on the air for that. So it is a, it's a pleasure to do this ministry with her. And our church loves it. We've got a lot of members of our church that listen to the podcast and also watch the videos and share them with others. And so it, it really has been a, uh, a, a church effort to do when we understand the text, and which was born out of our little local church, just a little Southern Baptist church in Junction City, Kansas, like you said, a, a town of about 25,000 people. And yet the uh, the ministry goes out around the world and we get emails from just about everywhere on the globe of people who say they love the videos or have listened to the podcast. And so we are truly blessed. And, uh, and, and then Becky and I have four kids. Our oldest daughter, Annie, is 11. Our son, Zeej, is seven. And then we have two little girls, Aria, who is four, and Mariah, who is two. And so there you go. That's our family in a nutshell. You know, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I, I often listen to it as I get ready in the mornings. It's just the right length, uh, Monday through Thursday. It's just the right length to get me from the bed to the coffee pot and, uh, <laughs> and the routine I've got. And uh, it works out really well to to kind of set up the morning and get me ready to have my brain actually functioning on the Bible when I sit down for my Bible time. Yeah, it's a it's been a blessing to me, and I know my wife. We she listens to it. She's getting ready around the same time, although she rarely gets the end of the episode because I leave the room and take the <laughs> phone with me, and she she misses that. But that's okay. Well, well, you have Albert Mueller to thank for the length of the podcast because I figured, hey, if he can do news in like twenty one or twenty two minutes, I can do Bible exposition in that amount of time. That's exactly right. And every once in a while, I'll throw him in in the morning. So it just depends on what the topics are on the day. The thing I like about it even more than anything else is that it's just in the Bible, open the word and discuss the word. And uh, that's refreshing because some of the podcasts are uh, not necessarily about their topics. So <laughs> I, I enjoy that. Uh, and with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump over to our topic. Uh, we're going to discuss what is man. And the reason that we're heading for this for a series uh, is I was reading through the Psalms. I read through the Psalms about twice a year. And uh, as I was reading through, thinking about things to do with the podcast, uh, I was happened to be at the end of the Psalms around Psalm 144 and uh, got into verses three and four there where it says, Lord, what is a human that you care for him? A son of man that you think of him? A human is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And we just got done with looking at 
the fruit of the spirit and, and how we are blessed with things of God. And it just felt like a natural place to walk backwards a little bit toward creation and to ask what in the world is a human in the first place? And how does, how does, how we're created? How does, how God relates to us? How does all of that work out in how we should live today? And so we're going to start discussing that uh, and go into some detail. Today, we're going to really focus on creation. We're going to start in Genesis and work through some of the ramifications of how man is created. So with that in mind, Gabe, let's go ahead and jump in uh, to Genesis that that we are created with an intention. I mean, God doesn't create things just willy-nilly. He has a, a, a purpose and a will behind it. And so there's an intention, an intention uh, in the way we're created. Uh, what are some things that you can guide us to as we think about that? Well, when it comes to understanding uh, how God made man and what his intention was for us, you have to begin in Genesis 1, as you said. So Genesis 1.27 is where we are told God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And that's not just merely talking about God creating man. That's also God's intention for man. The, the fact that we are image bearers, that we are created in the likeness of God, is the way that it's also said elsewhere in Genesis we are meant to reflect God's holy character. That's what it means to be made in God's image. Oftentimes when we think of that term, made in the image of God or made in the likeness of God, we think that we look like God. So you think of the uh, uh, like the Sistine Chapel paintings by Michelangelo up on the ceiling, and he's got God in this white beard reaching out and touching the finger of Adam, you know, and God looks like man. He just looks like an old man. That's the typical way that we see God depicted in paintings and elsewhere, that he's just this guy up there with his flowing white robe and this white flowing old man hair and just saying words like behold and knowest thou, you know, speaks in that uh, King James English. But God is spirit. And Jesus says that to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so God being spirit means that he has no form. He doesn't have form like we have a physical form. Spirit would be he's got a, a you know, spiritual uh, uh, form in, in the crudest sense of the term that we can use it. But it's not, it's not in, a, in a physical likeness the way that we might think of ourselves in a physical likeness. So the, to say that we are made in the image of God does not mean that we look like God. So therefore, we can spell with the question of, are women likewise made in the image of God? Well, the answer to that is yes, because men and women are both meant to reflect the holy character of God. Again, we don't look like God, but to be made in his image is to reflect God's holiness. So to read once again in Genesis 1.27 that God created man in his own image is not just a description of God creating man in the very beginning. It is also telling us what what he intended for us, that we would glorify God. And that being made in his likeness, we would, uh, we would follow and obey his will. And of course, we know as we go through Genesis, that's not what ended up happening, that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And so therefore, because of sin, God separated himself from man because he is holy. And with Adam's sin, showed that mankind is not. And so part of that curse was that we would lose sight of God. And, and all of that happened because Adam and Eve blasphemed God by reflecting in their character what actually turned out to be a lie about God. So Adam and Eve showed that they are not holy. And so it, by their own actions was as if they were showing uh, that, that God was not holy. And this was why they were punished in their sin the way that they were separated from God and kicked out of paradise. And so, you know, with that, you know, the purpose of, of man being to reflect God, uh, as we take that and, and move that into how we live in, in our current context and how that turns into day-to-day life, uh, you know, we don't exactly live in the Garden of Eden anymore. As you've already said, we've been kicked out. That's, that's not where we get to be. And so as, as we, as, especially as folks who believe in God and believe in Christ and are, uh, 
grafted back into the family, uh, that should color how we see ourselves and as we understand our own intention. And, you know, there's there's something that God is getting wanting us to do and to be. And so there's something that, you know, clearly there's something that Adam and Eve owed to God as his creatures. Uh, and so what does that look like from a Genesis standpoint and also from, say, maybe a, a modern standpoint? That, uh, as to what we owe God? Yeah. Well, God, we owe God our worship, and that's simply because he is worthy of our worship. So there is no other thing or person anywhere in the universe that is worthy of worship except God, because God is holy, and he is perfect, and he is righteous, and he is the creator of all things. And you think of him being creator doesn't just mean that he has uh, uh, that, that he's created substance or things, planets, stars, universe, people, but he has also created time. He has created the spiritual realm. As uh, uh, Paul points out in Colossians chapter 1, he is the creator of all things seen and unseen, uh, th- those things that are spiritual and those things that are physical. God has created all. He reigns over all of the universe. So he alone is worthy of worship. And we who are created in his image are the only ones who can worship God. Like uh, when we were talking earlier about mankind being made in the image of God, you couldn't say the same thing of the animals. The animals are not made in God's image. They're not intended to reflect God's holy character. They don't have uh, uh, the, the will uh, that is granted to them to be able to give back to God uh, uh, glory or make moral choices. They can't choose between right and wrong, or they can't know the difference between right and wrong. So therefore, animals are not created to reflect the character of God. That it's, that's only mankind. So we, only we can offer up worship to God. But because of sin, because we have rebelled against God and he has separated himself from us, we are incapable of offering right worship to God. As Lorraine Bettner had said in his, uh, in his paper on the Reformed, um, uh, the Reformed perspective of uh, uh, election, predestination, the Reformed perspective of predestination. That's not the exact title, but it's close to that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lorraine Bettner mentioned in that paper that it's possible for a man to uh, exercise volition. In other words, he can pick between right and wrong, but it's not possible for him to exercise holy volition. The only way that we can offer up right worship or make a choice that would otherwise be acceptable to God is if our heart has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling within us. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him and cannot please God. So if we don't even have the Spirit of God dwelling within our hearts, nothing that we can do will be pleasing unto God. So we were meant to reflect God's character. We were meant to worship Him and meant to to praise Him and offer Him right worship. But we can't do that because now, due to sin, we've been separated from God. And the only way now to offer up that worship that is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord is when He gives us His Spirit and changes us from the man or the woman that was rebellious against God into now having a regenerated will that seeks to honor and love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you mentioned there for a moment, you you said something about obedience. And that's kind of one of the things that I've got in, in my mind here is that, you know, especially if you came from a, I want to say more traditional, but that's not even really the the word that I'm looking for, but there, there's a certain time, especially in the preaching and the ethos of American Christianity, especially where obedience seemed to be the thing that was pushed more than anything. Uh, you know, as, as you, especially if you're looking uh, say as from the outside in or from a child's perspective, you know, you, you hear so much of do this, do this, do this, do this. And, you know, that's not necessarily what we're called to do, but we are called to obey as you, you know, as you go through the New Testament, there's time after time of things where we're supposed to walk in this way, where we're supposed to put off this and put on that and obey God's command to us. And, uh, you know, that, that is totally flipped over because of Adam and Eve and what had happened in the garden. It just, it, 
totally destroys how obedience works. And I think sometimes we get caught in those old habits of, of seeing obedience as, um, as a thing to earn God's favor, as opposed to just what God is owed, what is a, as a, as an option, as a, and a reflection of our worship of him and as an actual act of worship to him is our obedience. Right. That, yeah. That's part of it. Uh, as Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then we also have said in first John chapter two, that if anyone says that he loves God, if anyone says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. But again, these things that we do, these actions uh, that we exercise in our life, uh, the works that we do, the obedience that we live, we're incapable of doing this until we've been regenerated, until we've been changed from the fallen man into uh, a man who has been made righteous, who has been given a borrowed righteous, uh, righteousness, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you go back to, you know, this, is, this point is made in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You go back to Ezekiel 36, where the Lord says to the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. And, and so uh, uh, God's saying through Ezekiel there that I'm going to wash you, sprinkling clean water on you, and cleanse you from all your uncleannesses. And it's not until this happens that we become a creature that is now capable of offering up worship to God that is that is received and is pleasing by God. Because otherwise, as we see in Isaiah 64, 6, even our best deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God. And in Amos chapter 5, God says, I, I hate your offerings. I hate your songs, this trampling of my courts that you do. I, and, and I despise all of it. So even when they were doing the things that God said for the Israelites to do, he hated what they offered to him because they acknowledged God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. That's uh, mentioned by the prophet Isaiah, and then Jesus references that same scripture as well when he's describing Israel. He says, they acknowledge me with their lips. They talk about God. They do their exercises in the temple. The Pharisees are teaching the law, the scribes and the, uh, and the Sadducees as well. But these who acknowledge me with their lips, their hearts are far from God. So we can't will ourselves back to God. It is not until God gives us the transformed will. We go from being that creature that is fallen, who inherited the sin of Adam, all of mankind, uh, following along in that original sin. We're all born dead in our sins and our trespasses, and we're made alive again together with Christ. And so obedience, yes, absolutely has to do with that worship we are to live. Uh, worship is not just something that we do on Sunday morning or when we go to Bible study or whenever the church doors are open. Worship is something that we're supposed to do, again, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you think of Paul saying in Romans 12, 1, uh, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, and this is our spiritual act of worship. And I think sometimes in our modern context, that especially gets lost because the word worship has been adulterated through the years Absolutely. to mean all sorts of things that aren't what worship is. Uh, and that, that idea of worship being just the, the way you breathe in and breathe out uh, and think of God in the process and thank him for the ability to breathe in, breathe out. You know, we, we lose track of that uh, idea of what real worship boils down to. Uh, and I think we see that pattern also in the Old Testament very clearly the Israelites replaced the idea of worshiping God and honoring God, many of them, with the idea of just the sacrificial system yeah. as opposed to the rest of the system. Uh, and they left a, a large part out, and that's where they messed up. And and with that, I think um, understanding our creation and, and understanding our purpose is so key. I was As you were talking about the different places all over the, the scriptures, uh, my mind drifted to Zephaniah. Uh, and in Zephaniah 2, in verse 3, it says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, uh, 
who carry out what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. And that idea of seeking righteousness and seeking humility uh, without the, the Holy Spirit giving us that perspective of who we are and who God is, the right perspective, and opening up the scriptures to our eyes to see that we are exactly what the scripture says we are, which is a sinful person, uh, yeah. and that God is holy, you know, as as that takes place and we are able to seek righteousness and seek humility, you know, that the act of worship itself is a humiliation of self and a yes. laying down of oneself before God and, and recognizing the gulf of difference between who is God and who is man. Right. And we're not we're not going to do that perfectly. We're not going to offer up perfect worship. But yeah. the, the thing about sanctification, growing in holiness and righteousness and being made more and more into the image of Christ is the more you grow in the knowledge of God, according to his word, the bigger God gets to you and the smaller you realize you are like, like just how sinful you really are and how undeserving you truly were of the grace of God. That moment that you were converted from that fallen, wretched sinner into this man who is walking in righteousness. Uh, uh, there is at that time of conversion, not really a, a, all that deep an understanding. Now, some people, when they come to their conversion, probably have a greater understanding of their own sin than others. But, but as you grow in holiness and you see the greatness of God, you begin you begin to see how truly unworthy you are. And so, as you progress in this walk of Christianity, and, and as you mature, there's going to be a time later on in life where you're going to have an awareness of, of, of your unworthiness more so than you did the day that you were converted. At least as far as sanctification is concerned, that's supposed to be what happens. I, I've had an, an encounters with young men and women in my church. And, and usually this is you know somebody who's probably been a Christian for four or five years. And they'll look back on the time that they first became a Christian and were first baptized. And they will say to me, boy, that, that person looks totally different than who I am now. And I wonder if that person was even saved. Should I get rebaptized? And I'll say to them, you know, that's, that's really up to you. I cannot say for sure who you were five or six years ago. If I wasn't the one that baptized them, I don't know. <laughs> but right. if you, uh, but you should see in your Christian walk, you should see such a progression that you're looking mm -hmm. back on that person and they practically look like a stranger to you because you are so much more, sanctified and growing in this knowledge and understanding of God now that you're you, you're growing light years from where you were so many years ago. And people, when they get in, you know, 20, 30 years into their their Christian walk, have that much more maturity behind them. So there is going to be such a change between who you are in the Lord and who you were the moment that you first came, that there's there's going to be a distinct difference and that all comes with sanctification of, of having a greater view of God and a lesser view of yourself. Understanding the words of John the Baptist when he said, I must decrease and he must increase. And that happens with yes. sanctification, the description of it. And I think Paul describes that really well with if you read him chronologically as he wrote them, uh, wrote the letters, you know, you see how he describes himself in the earlier letters. And then you see, you know, he says, look. I, sh I, according to the eyes of the world, I'm this, but in reality, I am just a wee little one. Uh, yeah. I'm not worthy of what I'm being called to. And you see that work and get more and more pronounced. It's there all the way through, but it becomes more pronounced in my, the way I've read it. It seems that way, at least. I want to pivot for just a little bit. We may end up right back where we just were, <laughs> but I want to pivot to a question that has been, uh, I think, answered in a few different places, but... Uh, that I think sometimes we forget about. And, and as we uh, have a view of ourselves, especially sometimes it's a little too high. And I think it's often not necessarily a view of myself, but the view of humanity that we have as a culture. Uh, we think of humanity in general and think that, you know, man has will, man has creativity, man has all these things. But, but the question that pops into my mind sometimes is, is there anything that man can claim that is originally his, or is it more to be said that everything that man has is derivative from somewhere else? Yeah, there's there's nothing that a man can claim. 
So you even think of in, in Romans chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says, and this is in his condemnation of all men, he's, he's bringing Gentiles and Jews into condemnation, understanding that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in the process of that argument, Paul says in Romans 2, 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So everything that we have, even the breath that we have in our lungs, God has given to us by his kindness. And he has not snatched the breath out of our lungs because he's patient with us. You woke up this morning by the grace of God. And God still has a work for you to do in this life. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, God has a work for you to do. Now, ultimately, as we go on in Romans, we get to Romans 9, we come to an understanding that God is going to be, glo uh, is going to be glorified through every person. God will be glorified through you, whether it's in destroying you in his wrath or saving you by his mercy. God will get the glory through you in, in some way, shape, or form, or, or you know, using you. We, he will have the glory ultimately in the very end. So when it, when it comes to our responsibility, you know, going back to the way we started this conversation, uh, we are meant to worship God and God will be glorified in us. It is either as being the objects of his mercy or as being the objects of his wrath. Anything that we have is a kindness of God. It is a grace and a mercy so that we may give it back to the Lord and worship him. Again, referencing Romans 12.2, or I'm sorry, Romans 12.1, that we would give our entire bodies unto God as a spiritual act of worship. You think also of what's stated in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that, uh, that we were uh, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, taking the body and the mind that God had given to us, and instead of glorifying God with them, which is what we should have been doing with these things that God has made us with, we were glorifying ourselves. And so even in this sense, this is, this is an ultimate blasphemy of man, the way that we blaspheme God, taking the very things that God has given to us, and yet we would sin with them. We would rebel against God, and we would say, my ways are higher than your ways, God. And this is why we deserve judgment. It's why we deserve death. But God, in his kindness, did not strike us down, though that's what we deserved in any of those moments that we were sinning. Yet he showed us grace and mercy and lifted us up, and we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, taking the, the penalty that we deserved upon himself as an atoning sacrifice, as a propitiation, satisfying the wrath of God, and we receive God's grace by faith. That's the mechanism that God has chosen to extend the, the wonderful treasure of his grace to us, that we believe in Christ. And what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and it is through this that we have had given to us, uh, instead of wrath and judgment, we get love and grace and mercy and are made fellow heirs of the kingdom of God. As you were speaking there, it brought my mind to all of the analogies, and, and there are several different places it's used, of the potter and the clay. And uh, even the times where it says, you know, does the clay say to the potter, you did that wrong? And how often that, that we as the clay, you know, made out of the dust of the earth, literally just like clay, uh, how often we look at God and say, well, you know, I, I won't worship a God who does this. And, and especially in our culture and even within some of the folks that are uh, nominally part of the church in, in a variety of different ways. They'll say, you know, well, God isn't, he, he's a God of love, but not really so much of justice. And they try to, to, to split that apart Oh yeah. from man's point of view. They try to split God apart into different pieces. And, you know, that's the, the, the clay looking at the potter saying, yeah, you're not doing it right. See, this is how you make me. And, uh, having that idea yeah. of being made by God, uh, you know, we, we are so foul that we're not even fit to be. You know, we don't deserve to be on the potter's wheel. Right. And, right. and even in that, you know, he makes out of us things that, that we have no right. He's the master craftsman that makes things. There's no way those materials ought to come out that way, but because he's the creator, 
of all things, he's able to do that and turn it into something pretty. And then we waste it. Uh, we, we do that in our sin. Uh, our, we, we turn ourselves into vessels instead of allowing God to do that. And right. that, that makes me, always brings my mind to the song, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. And all the different verses that are there of the different, the different ways that we serve God and worship him just all the time. And that song to me is, is one that always brings me back to that idea of the potter and the clay. Right. And, and in that, in the spirit of that song too, it's a wonderful hymn and one of my favorite hymns Yes, in the spirit of that song is, is asking God to make me holy, knowing that yes. we do not have a holiness or a righteousness of our own, but to say, take my life and let it be consecrated is for God to consecrate us, to make us yes. holy that we may offer something to him that is, uh, that is worthy of God, that, that we might offer worthy worship unto our Lord. And we often want to consecrate things on our own. We want to set things aside for God. You know, okay, I'm going to set aside Sunday for God, and I'm not going to set aside this other stuff. Uh, I'm going to set aside my Bible reading time is holy for God, but everything else not so much, as opposed to offering ourselves to God and saying, I'm not holy, consecrate me, use me however you will. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a big difference in perspective. That's that humility that we were talking about earlier. Right. You're, you're speaking spiritually of what Ananias and Sapphira did uh, physically or literally. So they had the money that they received from the property that they sold. And then they decided they were going to keep half of the money, but they were going to give the other half to the church and say to the church, hey, we're, we sold this field and look, we're giving you all the proceeds. Well, they lied about that because they kept some of that for themselves. And so they were doing exactly what you're talking about, where we're not giving all of ourselves to God. We want to hold back a little bit for ourselves. And yet we're going to give those things that we think we can consecrate and we can make worthy before the Lord. Here's Sunday, but I want you to let me have, you know, I still got my football game this afternoon. You're not going to be part of that. I've got these things going on during the week. I'm not giving those things unto the Lord. But when it comes to uh, understanding, loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you think of what Paul said to the Corinthians, where he said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And I think it's Paul Washer that I heard say, have you ever tried to do that before? Have you ever tried to eat to the glory of God or take a drink of a glass of water to the glory of God, knowing that you have done nothing for yourself. You've not given yourself any of these things, but all of this is the blessing of God that you might give praise to him through all of these things that he has provided for you. So you, so then you understand the command of Colossians three, when you, when you see that you have not done any of this for you, God has given you everything. You've got nothing that you can claim for yourself. It is all from God that, it, that he has blessed us with these things, that we might then praise his name for these things, that we then understand what Paul says in Colossians 3, where he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So, mm -hmm. so understanding that concept, you can now go to work to the glory of God. You can now love your spouse to the glory of God. You can raise your kids to the glory of God. And that changes your perspective on all these things, knowing that none of this is ultimately yours. It all belongs to God, and you've been made a steward of it, but that you might offer it back up to God in praise. You have received the inheritance of his eternal kingdom. You deserve nothing. In fact, what you deserve is judgment and death. And what has God done for you instead? He has raised you up and has made you a fellow heir with Christ. And so when, when we as rebels against the kingdom of God deserve for our treason to be destroyed, instead, he made us into his children and a fellow heir with Christ of that glorious kingdom that we are going to receive on, on the final day, on the day of glory. So therefore, knowing that, when we, when we have that future perspective in mind, and we know that all these moments that we live here in this life ultimately belong to God, then you can do all things to his glory and not lose heart when something doesn't go your way. Because ultimately yeah. God is going to be glorified in all things, whether from our human perspective, we would call them good or bad. 
Yep. Well, and that, yeah, that's a, that's a totally different episode right there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I was thinking, as you mentioned, Ananias and Sapphira, and you mentioned a few other uh, things there as you were finishing as well, it draws back to the same idea. Uh, my mind flipped to Cain and Abel and the difference in their worship of God and the way they presented their offerings to God, where yeah. Cain just gives some of his stuff, but Abel gives his choicest. And, uh, and and the first fruits and and the continual uh, mention of that same idea through the rest of Scripture and the idea of Christ being the first fruits, the firstborn from the dead, of being the head of the church, of being uh, the firstborn of the saved. I mean, all the different things that are laid out. It is uh, or the 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 preeminent one of the saved, I should say. And right. so uh, you know, it's it's just so there's so much there. That could be an episode in its own as well to, to chase that idea of of proper worship and first fruits and that idea of giving of your best. Uh, and and it, it parallels really well. Uh, another thing that, that jumped in my mind on that whole same idea of worship and of humility was uh, the Matthew uh, 7 prayer. Uh, and I had it just a minute ago, and then I turned back to Genesis and lost it because I didn't put a bookmark in. <laughs> well, while you're while you're looking for that, I can mention something related to Matthew seven. So Jesus said six, yeah. to uh, uh, to those who were who, who he was teaching there on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, uh, "Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open." Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish? We'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil yep. know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And that's one of the yep. things that Jesus uses there to iterate that we really don't have anything of our own. In fact, if there's anything yes. that we can and claim of our own, it's that we're evil. <laughs> and yet we know how to do right things for somebody else even though we cannot do anything that is ultimately pleasing unto God unless our hearts can transform to offer right uh, right things to God. So if we know how to do good things for one another, then uh, if you then know how to give, give good things to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, yes. And then you and, and that, we're going to... Yeah, that humility of, of understanding that, that God... Think about the... When God says he's going to give us good gifts, when God says something is good, there's nothing better. And if he's going to give us gifts like that, I mean, there's just nothing that can compare. And we so often in our finite brains, we hear good gifts and we're thinking, okay, he's going to pay my mortgage. I'm going to get healed from this uh, the temporary cold that I have. Um, I'm going to not have arthritis next week, things like that. And, you know, that's it's. There's so much deeper of God's good. God's good gifts are things that can't be put into words because they're so wonderful. You know, you read Revelation and the in the picture of what is heaven and what is the new city even as well. And my goodness. And we're thinking of good gifts as, you know, I'm going to have an extra five years on earth because God lets me have it. But what's even more cool is that God grants us salvation and allows yeah. us the good gift of being with him. Right. Uh, yeah. It's no comparison, you know? Yeah. So you have the, you have the naturally minded man thinks of material things, but the spiritually right. minded man thinks of the spiritual things. And yep. uh, and we understand, you know, Lamentations 338. Is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come? Why should yes. a living man complain a man about the punishment of his sins? For we know that it is God who gives us uh, his mercies, which are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. Yep. And we, again, there's, we, we hear the great is his faithfulness and the mercies, and we, we, we shrink those down, and then we, we miss the, uh, the, the part about God's judgment, and sometimes God, the gift God gives us is a corrective and that doesn't feel very good. And sometimes what God gives us is what we've earned uh, as well. And, and right. man, that's a tough one to realize that and sometimes <laughs> on earth, we, we deserve the smackdown that we just got because we're sinful and we caused it. 
and uh, well, it's our we've we've earned it, you know. And, yeah, and as yeah. far as the earthly part of it is, there's consequences on Earth for what we do. It's not the heavenly judgment, but right, right, yeah. That's what that's what I was going to say. I mean, to put that in even broader perspective, uh, you deserve worse than the repercussions yes. that you're experiencing right now because of what you did. Uh, but praise yeah. the Lord, He instead uses that to discipline us that we might learn not to do it again. So I was teaching something similar to this. Uh, we've been going through in my Sunday school class. We had spent a lot of time in the minor prophets recently and uh, went through three or four of them in a row. And one of the things that, that came to my mind is, as I was doing that is without God's grace, the absolute best thing humanity can hope for, the best thing we can hope for is karma. Yeah. Short of God's grace, that's the best most hopeful thing that exists. And even that is right. dreadful that when we consider who we really are. And but that's so, I mean, with God's grace in picture, that makes karma look like it's trash because it, I mean, it's just, we're sinful. So what goes around, it's going to come back. That's sin. So we're going to pay for our own sin because somebody's going to sin against us here in a minute, as opposed to the idea of God's grace and mercy coming to us. And relieving us of the penalty of sin and also of the presence of sin within and cleansing us from that sin. Uh, I, I just finished up a series on, of videos. It was just a couple of videos back to back, but related to, you know, all the different religions in the world, thinking of this because you brought up karma. Yeah. And what is the one thing that, that makes Christianity distinct from every other religion in the world? And it's grace. It's the grace yeah. of God. Every other religion is is about trying to attain some sort of justification by works. Even an atheist believes that he can just be a good person. And if there is some sort of God out there, well, at least I was a good person. So he has to reward me because I did something good. So every religion is is a person justifying themselves through works. But it's only through Christianity that we understand justification by grace through faith. It is, it is the gift of God. It is demerited favor. We, what we deserve is judgment, but instead what he gives to us is forgiveness and glory. And, and that is uh, uh, so beautiful. How could the words that I articulate even do it justice? <laughs> yep. Well, and that brings back to the idea I mentioned Matthew and I miss, I said, Matthew seven meant Matthew six with the model prayer and that the idea that it begins in humility and it, it continues with seeking God's kingdom and it continues with seeking God's sustenance. And then it continues with extending to others, the forgiveness that's been extended to us and right. trusting in God to guide us as well. I mean, you take those ideas and, and the, the sinful man, the natural man uh, who is full of himself could never really pray that prayer. They could speak the words, but the, I mean, you know, I've sung in foreign languages before and um, I have no clue what it actually says. I have a guess, but I don't know what it really says. It's not powerful to me in its native language because of the language. The music might be absolutely gorgeous, but I'm not sure what it says. And every once in a while, you know, you sing one of those and then you read the words and you're going, oh, did I really just sing that? <laughs> and because you don't know the words and we don't understand. And so as without the spirit teaching us what the prayer means and teaching us through the, through the whole counsel of the word, what really is entailed in all of that, we can say the words, but they don't mean anything. It almost brings judgment on us again, just for saying something without understanding. It's almost blasphemous to say that without having some sort of sense of who God is. Right. Yeah, it would be. It would be blasphemous because uh, we believe that we have a righteousness in and of ourselves. That as long as I do this, I'm saying magic words and therefore yeah. God owes me something because I did it this way. Right. But what do we read in, in Romans chapter 11? But that, uh, that uh, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? What, what have we given to God that he owes us anything for? Salvation is not a series of magic words. And that if you just utter these words, then poof, you're magically saved and you have 
uh, uh, obligated God to have to say you because uh, save you because you said this prayer and you wrote down the date in your Bible. It's not the way that salvation works. Again, we come into this world with nothing. You mentioned Job earlier. Naked I came into the world. Naked I will return to the dust. I will return, and that is uh, that. That's you know truly understanding the question that you asked you know, half an hour ago, however long we've been talking <laughs> about this. <laughs> but that we. We came into the world with nothing. We leave with nothing. And it is only by God's grace that we are lifted from the mire that we wade through and, and made a son or a daughter of God. And I think on that, I, that, that's a great place to come to a rest. And I like to read scripture as I rest. And as you said that, uh, something popped into my mind from a passage. Uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, being able to preach for my church a few times here recently and uh, one of the passages I took was from First Peter. And so that popped into my head because it's kind of fresh. And uh, in chapter one, uh, it's hard to find a good spot to start in chapter one because there's so much great stuff there. Uh, but I'm going to start <laughs> at verse 22 for right now. Uh, Since you've purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, such as that we get from Adam, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For, and here he quotes the Psalms, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We are that, I mean, we're just a mist. We, we are here one moment and gone the next. That that perspective of understanding the finiteness of human life on earth is uh, when you think about what eternity is and just the few moments that we're here comparatively, uh, it's, it's astounding to the mind. And it's so deep to, to really wrap your mind around. It takes a lot of meditation. You can't just come to it on a whim. Uh, it takes, you've got to think about that and to understand yeah. it and uh, to sit with it for a while. And that's where the meditation on scripture comes in so handy, uh, you know, to get something like that and to just chew on it for a few days and to really get your head around it. And the, the difference between God's word and we think about what is God's word. Well, in one picture, it's Christ himself. In one picture, it's the Bible. In one picture, it's just the decrees and commands that he's given us. Uh, in any of those cases, they're forever. They will not end. They won't. They don't stop. They don't end. He created with his word. The very thing that creates all the way back in the beginning. My, my the last uh, sermon I gave was using First John, and you know what was in the beginning in Genesis was in the beginning in John's gospel, and was in the beginning at First John, and then it becomes also in the end in Revelation. And so what was in the beginning is in the middle and is in the end. You get those three things that gives a picture that we can't fathom as humans. We, we can't really get to the depth of it. We can get most of an idea and that's about as far as we can get. And you put that in perspective to us and it's, it stops you. It stops you cold. And then to consider how sinful we are and how, how, how we just don't live up to how we've been created because of our willfulness and our sin. You know, the will of man tends to take, take us straight to sin instead of straight to a savior. And, That's right. Yeah. you know, thank goodness for, for the word of God to draw us away from ourselves and to him. Amen. And to make us more and more in his image. So yes. yeah, kind of bringing it back to the way that we started is yeah. that uh, in Romans chapter 8, of course, everybody knows, whenever you mention Romans 8, everybody probably thinks of Romans 8, 28. <laughs> but, and we know that yes. for those... Who, but I like the first half of the, the chapter. That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But it's in verse 29 where we come to understand the good that God is working us together for. And that is for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the yes. good that God gives us is to be made more into the image of Christ. We were made in the image of God. We desecrated that image with our sin, and we were worthy of destruction. As it says in Romans mm -hmm. 3.10, we became worthless. And then it is 
by the grace of God, through his son, Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven those sins, all who believe in his name, and we are lifted up and made into the image of the son. So again, we are, we are made into something that, uh, uh, remade into something, or put it that way, that yes. we had previously destroyed, but God is reshaping into the image of Christ and praise God for his goodness, because we would, we would not be able to live up to uh, uh, being in the image of God if it were not for his grace and his mercy. Absolutely. It is a most beautiful truth, isn't it? Amen. Thank you, brother. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and close up this episode. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Pay attention as we have the outro, because there's going to be some ways to contact me in there. And I'm going to give Gabe an opportunity to let you know how to contact him. Uh, Sure. Our ministry, when we understand the text, you can find online at www.utt.com podcast, free videos. It's all there. And if you'd like to shoot us an email, the address is when we understand the text at gmail.com. Fantastic. Gabe, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. It is fantastic to have an opportunity to discuss the word with a brother. Uh, I've had the opportunity to actually shake your hand in person. Uh, that was a lot of fun at, at convention this summer, getting to talk a little bit. And uh, yeah, look forward to yeah, look forward to meeting you again. I won't be able to make this year's uh, SBC convention because my family has vacation that week. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to make it, but I'm hoping to get there at some point uh, again here soon. And uh, with that, we're going to say good night. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll catch you at some time in the future. Thanks for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. Before next week, why don't you join the conversation? Send us an email to simmeringthoughts at gmail.com or visit us on our social media pages at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Simmer Thoughts. Don't forget to like and follow those accounts so you can get our content, including our daily Simmering Thoughts. Remember to like, share, and review our podcast wherever it is that you listen to us. Share the news so that others can come enjoy as well. Once again, I'm Ryan Akers, the host of Simmering Thoughts. I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you as you go through your week. Thank you.